So we had a, a good time at family camp this past weekend. We went for just a couple of, day, of days, and I had no responsibilities while I was there outside of our two kiddos. That was uh, definitely a change of pace, as typically uh, I could be pretty involved with the different uh, camps uh, and conferences. And after doing the young adult uh, getaway, I have a newfound appreciation uh, for those who lead the different uh, camps and conferences. So certainly a nice change of pace to just go, not have any responsibilities, as oftentimes in a church setting as well, not, not just specifically camp, but in church setting, people uh, look to the pastor to be the head and the leader of the church. I'm here to tell you that I, your pastor, have a leader. I, I, I am a, a member of this body, the body that we are all a part of, and we all have that same head. It's not I, it's not any of our three elders, but the head of the church, the, the uh, authority figure in the church is Christ Jesus. And today we're going to take a glimpse at that as Jesus being the head of the church as we continue our series on living like a saint. We've been going through the book of Ephesians as the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the, to the saints at Ephesus. And in this uh, letter, Paul urges the saints at Ephesus to live like a saint. And, and we get to talk about that a bit as well today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to, you guessed it, the book of Ephesians. And we are picking up in chapter 4 this morning. Chapter 4, and we're going to be starting in verse 1. Paul just got done uh, talking about how we are strengthened through the Spirit, how we can uh, be filled with the fullness of God. And so Paul continues in, in Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul writes to the saints, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So again, we get this lovely reminder that Paul, he is writing this letter in prison, and again, he is in prison for no other reason than the fact that he was sharing his faith in Christ with those around him. And so while in prison, he's writing to these saints over at Ephesus, and he tells these saints that I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So the question that we should all be asking ourselves is, what is that calling? What have we been called to do? Well, Paul tells us in the first chapter of this letter, we won't go there, but in verse 1, Paul says that we are saints. We are called saints. That is who we are called to be. In verse 4 of chapter 1, Paul says that we are God's chosen people before the foundation of the world. And then in verse 5, he says we are God's adopted children. So that is who we are called to be. We are called to be saints. Saint is someone who is set apart. So we are called to be different from those outside of us who do not have a living and active faith. So Paul says, live like it. Live like you are a saint. Walk the walk. Paul says that we are called to be God's chosen people. God has specially chosen you, his church, the Christ church, he's specially chosen you. And so we've got to live like it. We've got to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And then on top of that, we, we have been called as God's children. My parents are Rick and Jill McClain. And because of the upbringing from my parents, 
I'm going to live differently uh, than people who are not Rick and Jill's kids. And on a similar note, we are all God's children. We, we, we are sons and daughters through adoption. And so we are God's children. And so that means we are going to live a different life than those who are not the children of God. And so Paul says that we have got to live like it. Live like you are a child of God. Walk the walk. We can't just talk the talk, but, but Paul says we have to walk the walk. We have to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called here. Which this pretty much sums up the whole uh, background theme uh, that we've been talking about in this uh, letter uh, to the saints at Ephesus is that we need to live like a saint. We need to walk the walk. We need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling to be a saint. And Paul shares with us a bit in these uh, upcoming verses what that looks like, a part of what that looks like. And so Paul writes it in, in verse 2. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so Paul says that as we live like saints, we need to express humility with all humility. Proverbs 16, 18 states, pride comes before, anybody know the rest of it? The fall. Yes, absolutely. When we have this pride in us, that's always going to precede our fall. And so we, we have to be careful here because we are different. We, we have been called to a high call. We have been called to be saints. We've been called to be set apart. We've been called as God's chosen people. We have been called to be God's children. That's special. That makes you special. That makes you different than the rest of the world. However, we cannot get a big head because this is not by our own doing. This is all due to the grace of God. And so with all humility, recognize that, yeah, you are different, you are changed, you have been set free, you are a child of God, but it's not because of what I have done. Simply, it's because of the grace of God. And so we need to demonstrate that with all humility. On top of that, Paul says that we need to express gentleness. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't really pay attention to politics anymore because it can be very divisive and a waste of my uh, personal time. But regarding politics, I only loosely follow one guy, and I love his morals. I love his thought processes, and I agree with most of what he says. He's someone who believes in God. But what bugs me about this gentleman is he is not very gentle. And that's not a huge issue for me because I agree with a lot of what he says. But if I didn't agree with the things that he said, you know how much of what I would listen to what he said? Zero. I would not listen to a thing that he is saying because he is not presenting this in a very gentle manner. When you present something in an aggressive format, nobody is going to want to listen to what you have to, to say. And I know people uh, like that who share not just political ideas, but Christian ideas as well. People who are uh, way smarter uh, than I, uh, they don't share these great truths that they have in a gentle manner. And all it does is shuts people off from the great truth that they have to share. And so if we want to be an effective, say, if we want to be an effective child of God, we have got to express a sense of gentleness, gentleness. On top of that, we need Patience. When I became a parent, uh, my eyes were open up to how not 
patient I can be. Any other parents out there uh, like me, you, uh, you were made self-aware that, man, I am not a very uh, patient uh, guy or gal. Uh, but here Paul tells us that we need to live as a saint with a sense of patience. And generally, this is harder for the gentleman. And so, gentlemen, I encourage you to, to specifically emphasize patience. Be patient and be gentle as well. And then Paul says, we're living like sense. We need to bear with one another in love. I want everybody to look around this room real quick. Look in front of you, behind you, to the side of you. Everybody look around. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you need to treat them with love. We need to bear with one another in love. When we don't treat one another with love, when we don't treat one another with humility or gentleness or patience, we are not living like a saint. We need to be aware of that. We, we have been called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling to be a saint. But if we are acting in love and we aren't patient and gentle, then, then we are not living up to that standard. We are not walking the walk, and now we are simply talking the talk. And we all know that's not what we want, to simply talk the talk, but we must walk the walk as well. And then Paul says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so we should be eager to maintain the peace within the church. So are you eager to maintain the peace? Are you living like you are eager to maintain the peace? A good question for us all to ask ourselves. And then Paul continued, and Paul's going to talk a lot about different ones. And in verse 4, Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So let's break down all these uh, very uh, quickly here. One body. There, there is one body. Now, I don't think Paul is talking about our physical bodies here, but I think Paul is talking about the body of Christ. He, he is talking about the church. And no brain can work through a fragmented body that is not cohesive. The unity of the body, the one body working together, it's imperative for the work of Christ as we'll see in a minute here, that Christ is the head of the church and we are the body. If we want the work of the head to be done, if we want the work of Christ to be done, then the body has got to be working as one cohesive unit. So in this, uh, the basis on which Christian unity is founded, we need to understand that there is one body. And on top of there being one body, there is one spirit. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma which can mean breath or spirit. And it's the life-giving breath of the body, which is the spirit. There could be no church without the spirit at play. That is the, the living breath that, that gives the body, the church, life today is the spirit. And we have one spirit, the Holy Spirit, working in and through us all. Just as you were called to the one hope. We are all working toward the same goal, the kingdom. We all have the hope of a day and age where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And on a similar note, we have one 
Lord. Here, Paul talked about one master, one Lord, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. He is our one Lord. When we talk about Lord, there is a sense of authority. When, when someone, you know, this, this wasn't, this term Lord was not just used in Christian settings. This was a pretty common term. When someone had authority over you, they were your Lord. And so Jesus, he has authority over us. And so Jesus, he is our Lord. He is our master. We have got to listen to what he says, and we've got to follow his example because he has authority over each and every one of us. And there's one faith. We all have that same belief in God and his son, Jesus Christ. We have one baptism. You know, back uh, in the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire what was the main empire at play. And there was only one way that a soldier could join the Roman army. Each soldier, they had to take an oath that he would be true to the emperor forever. And in a very similar idea, baptism is our public oath, it's our public confession that we are going to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we are going to serve our God and Father, Yahweh. That, that is what we are professing when we get baptized, that, that we are giving our life over, and we're going to let the whole world know that we are making this public confession, this public oath to God and his son, Jesus Christ. And then at the end of this, out of the, after all these different ones, Paul says there is one God and Father of all. And so whoever this God figure is, he, he is also the Father of us all, the Father uh, of all the church. And uh, I'd encourage you guys to not overcomplicate uh, simple facts. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ, and we have one God and Father of us all. Let's uh, not over, I, I hate it when to, to see people overcomplicating very, very simple ideas and concepts. I'm a simple guy. I love simple truths. And man, let me tell you, the scripture is filled with simple truths that, that people, ordinary people can understand. And so we have one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So this is all the, the, the basis on which Christian unity is founded, all of these different ones. And then Paul continues in verse 7, and Paul writes, but grace was given to each one of us, us re referring to the saints, so you guys as well, but grace was given to each one of you guys according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul here, he quotes this uh, from Psalm 68, uh, verse 18. And uh, in the original uh, passage, it reads, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. If you notice here, when, when Paul quotes this, he says, and he gave gifts to men instead of saying he received gifts. But Christ here, Paul here re referring to Christ, the measure of Christ's gift Therefore, it says, when he ascended high, and when he ascended on a high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Here, in referring to Christ, Christ is the giver of gifts. What, what, what a good king, what a good Lord and master that we have today, a giver of good gifts. And then Paul says in verse 9, in saying he ascended, 
What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, if you're anything uh, like me, you're probably a bit confused in the first time in reading this uh, or deciphering this in, in a while. Uh, so we'll break this down. Upon initial glance, I don't know about you, but upon initial glance, I thought that Paul uh, was trying to say that Jesus descended from heaven to earth. Does anybody else kind of get that uh, sense, that, that kind of what Paul is saying? Is that just me? Uh, well, I hope uh, you're not like me because I don't think that uh, is what Paul is saying here. As uh, I don't think Christ has ever descended from heaven to earth. I think that day is coming. I long for that day. I look forward to that day when Christ descends from heaven to earth, but I don't think that day has taken place yet. And instead, there's very good reason to believe that Paul is talking about Jesus' death when he descends into the lower regions of the earth. I think Paul is talking about his death. As when Jesus died, he was buried in a tomb. He is buried in the grave. In the lower regions of the earth is another way to refer to the grave, to the tomb, to the place of the dead. And so what Paul here is saying is that Christ, he descended to the lower regions of the earth. So he was alive, but now he has been buried in the grave into the lower regions of the earth. But he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so thank the good Lord that Christ did not stay descended. Christ did not stay in the grave. But on the third day, God rose Jesus victoriously from the grave. And after spending 40 days on earth ministering about the kingdom of God, Jesus ascended up into the heavens to the right hand of God so that he might fill all things. And so, Paul, you're kind of talking about this process of Jesus descending into the lower regions of the earth, descending into the grave, and then God ascended him from the grave, and eventually Jesus ascended into heaven as well. So that's part of uh, this good news that we have today, this grace that was given to each one of us, because we too will ascend from the grave as well, and all of our other loved ones who devote their life over to Christ. We will ascend forevermore. And so if we continue, Paul writes in verse 11, and he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Paul here, he's kind of, uh, in my eyes, he's kind of a bit scatterbrained here, uh, jumping from one topic to the other. But here now, Paul says in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so Paul says the purpose of all these different guys, the, the, these important people in the church, before the church, the, the, the prophets, the, the, the purpose of all of it in verse 12 is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so your Sunday school teacher, your pastor, your elders, leaders of the church, they are there to help equip you for the work of Christ. 
That, that, that is their purpose. If they are not equipping you for the work of Christ, uh, then uh, something uh, needs to change. Either they need to change their formula or you need to be more receptive to what they are telling you and leading you to do. Something's not working there if we are not being equipped to, uh, to equip for the saints to, for the work of ministry. And this is a good reminder uh, for those of you who are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, et cetera, that your job is to equip people for the work of ministry. And so Christ, he, he, he gave us all of these different things. And then Paul continues in verse 13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So we are all striving to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Paul says we've been given these different apostles, teachers, evangelists, etc., so that we can mature in our faith. As someone who is mature in their faith, they know what they believe, and also just as important, if not more importantly, they know why they believe that. A mature believer is not easily swayed by every wind of doctrine. If someone tells you that there are five gods, but you are not easily swayed by that, then that is an indication that you are mature in your faith, as you are not easily swayed by these different winds of doctrine. And so we've all, we should all be asking ourselves, do I know what I believe? Ask yourself that. Do I know what I believe? And I'll tell you, most church members throughout the world they can answer this question. They know that, yes, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe uh, that we have a good hope for us. I believe that I'm a Christian. They know what they believe. Most church members could answer this. Second question that we should all ask ourselves is, do I know why I believe it? And I'll tell you the truth is that most church members throughout the world, in my experience, most church members cannot answer this. A lot of people who, who, who go to church on a semi-regular basis, uh, who are lukewarm, hot and cold, uh, they would not be able to answer this. They don't know why. Why do I believe in God? Why do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? Why do I believe that, that God rose Jesus from the grave? Why do I believe that Jesus is coming back uh, from heaven to earth? Why do I believe in the kingdom? Why, why, why? You've got to know the why. Why do you believe it? If you do know that, that, that is a good indicator that you are a mature believer. And when we are mature believers, we are not swayed by every wind of doctrine. And that's important. That's very important because t Paul tells us by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Paul tells us that there are people who have these cunning schemes and they're going to be deceitful in these winds of doctrines, these different doctrines that they come up with. And so we need to be aware of that and we need to be mature in our faith because if we are not mature in our faith, 
that we are going to be swayed by every wind of doctrine, by these cunning and defeat, deceitful schemes. And so we have to be ready to defend our faith. We have to know what we believe, and we have to know why we believe it. If you can't answer those two questions, we've got to work on that. We, it's a process. It's not going to happen immediately. Don't, don't be discouraged if you don't know the answer to those two questions. Uh, there, there's time for you. you. You can work through it. You can work through it in prayer and reading your word. But eventually, you'll, you'll find that you can answer what you believe and why you believe it as well. But if you can't answer those two questions, then we've got to get to work because there are cunning, crafty, deceitful schemes that are trying to sway people on every wind of doctrine. When I take a look at uh, church history, I see this take place time and time again, people being swayed by every wind of doctrine, and doctrine is changing. It seems to be evolving throughout church history, and I think maybe it's because people didn't know why they believed what they did. But thank goodness we have these different apostles, these prophets, these evangelists to help us mature in our faith. And so this last section that we'll read here, verses 15 and 16, Paul writes, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we together as a body, we are to grow up into the head of the church. And Paul reveals to us the head of the church is Christ. He is the head of the church. And so we are to become more and more like him as we mature. And from Jesus, we are all held together. From whom, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul tells us that if we are all working together just as we should be doing, you know, we, we each have a different part in this body. We're each a different member of this body, and each member is important. Paul talks about this in his letter to the saints at uh, Corinth, and he says that we're all different members of the same body of one body, but we all have a different service service. We all have a different function. But when we all are working cohesively as one unit and we are all fulfilling our roles, then Paul says it'll make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we're working together, we will naturally grow. We will naturally build up the body of Christ. We'll be building it up in love. And so that tells me on a local level, in our local church, if we are all working together as we should under the head of the church and we all are fulfilling the roles that we have in the church, then to me, it appears that we will naturally grow. We, we will see healthy, gross growth among us. This is the ideal outcome for a local church. And so we have to recognize that we're one body, we're all on the same team but you and I, we, we, we play a different role. You play a different role from the person on your right and your left and the person in front of you and behind you. But every role is just as important. And we all need to come together, work cohesively. And when we do that, 
We'll see the body grow. We will see the body of Christ, which is the church. We'll see the church grow so that it builds itself up in love. And when this happens on the worldwide church scale, uh, mighty, mighty things are going to take place. And so here in in these uh, first uh, 16 verses of chapter 4, Paul talks about a number of different topics, kind of get a bit scatterbrained. I'm I'm someone who's scatterbrained as well, so I can uh, relate uh, with this quite well. But I just want to give you guys a couple of takeaways from these 16 verses. First takeaway is walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And again, that calling is a saint, God's chosen people, uh, a child of God, the whole shebang. We, we have got to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Point number two, we got to understand the basis on which Christian unity is founded. And Paul tells us, Paul goes through that process in verses four through six, that we, this Christian unity is founded on the fact that there's one body, the church, There is one spirit, the life-giving breath of the church. There's one hope, the hope of the kingdom. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, one baptism, our public confession, and there's one God and father of all. This is the basis on which Christian unity is founded. And then finally, number three, together we function as the body of Christ with Christ serving as the head. And we are working cohesively as one body. Paul tells us that the body will grow. The church will grow. And what a lovely idea that is, what what an attainable goal that, that the body of Christ can grow if we are working together as one unit, one body, everyone serving their role within the church. And we do this because one day, the head of the church is coming back to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And everybody that the church invites into this good news, everybody that the church invites into God's kingdom, we will live forever where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And so through it all, in it all, I encourage you guys to remember the one hope that we have, the head of the church coming to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And then Christ will hand over the kingdom to his God and his father, Yahweh, and we will rule for the rest of the days of eternity. And what a glorious day and age that will be. Let that drive you day in and day out. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for this one hope that we have, a hope in your coming kingdom. Father, I pray that hope drives us day in and day out. Father, I thank you for uh, this local body of believers that we have, this local body of Christ, this local church. Father, I pray that you help us work cohesively as one unit. I pray that you encourage and motivate every member of this church to fulfill their role within the church, that they seek to bring you glory and honor with the many talents, gifts, and resources that you have blessed them with. As a father... We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, the the, the grace that you have given to us. As We don't deserve any of this, Father, and we recognize that. But we give you all the glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.